everybody. I'm Ralph Ben Mergi, and welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. Uh, every week, I do clarify for you that uh, I am not indeed a rabbi. I am an ordained spiritual director, but I'm not a rabbi. But if I was a rabbi, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. So I hope that's clear to everybody who's listening. Uh, I'm going to have a great show in a moment, but before that, I'll wreck it all by just thinking out loud. Here's the thing. I'm having a a bit of a spiritual crisis. My spiritual crisis is my belief in humanity. I'm very worried about us. I'm worried that we don't even know that we should be worried about what we're going through and how we're doing. You know, I see so many people taking a pass on the right thing to do because they're so scared that they're not going to have something. And this is a tectonic shift that we're going through right now. There's no doubt about that. It's not easy for anyone. It's existential. When people talk about, you've got 10 years and then the climate change is irreversible, that kind of existential threat is biblical in its proportion. And as we know, once we get to biblical proportions of things, we wait for miracles. And I don't think there's very many miracles that we can rely on right now. I think we have to try to figure out what we should do. And one of the things is, we so lack this sense of community with each other that we can't come together. I'm always saying, why are there 34 lawnmowers on my street? Why do what does, do we really need 34 different lawnmowers for that one stretch, that one block? Or could we just have a sign up list and say Saturday at 11, I'd like the lawnmower for an hour, but it doesn't even occur to us to come together that way. We've been atomized commodified and scarcity is what runs us so it's all about what i'm i can't give to that person i can't say look at them they have a pension they make good money that's like supposed to be some insult it's an awful thing that these people have a pension and and that they you know had a decent job with, with a decent wage no no we should all be wanting that it's not a race to our own bottom at this point but the competitiveness is crowding out our ability to be communal. And without that communal sense, without that public space, that third space that none of us own, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I've seen so many people just unable to take into their hearts that we're in a situation, even with children right in front of them. They can't do it. And I don't blame them. I I worked with some people uh, at a conference on just transition. How do you move from one carbon economy to a clean economy? And one of the guys, God love him, got up from one of the uh, uh, union locals that worked in the oil fields, in the tar sands. And I don't call them oil sands. That's just much a PR nonsense. The tar sands. And he said, look, I mean, you can say, leave it in the ground, but I've got a family. This is what I do. What am I going to do if you do this to me? So we have to find a way to build a bridge. We've got to build a bridge to the other side. And it's got to be one that's not, you know, the house is on fire, let's run to nowhere. It's got to be the house is on fire, let's build a better house. Let's build a better way of being together. Let's build something that's sustainable. So that's kind of my spiritual crisis is, do I believe in us enough or or am I just getting more disappointed? And I guess because I'm not, you know, 23 anymore, I don't just see it as endless runway and, oh, I'm sure it'll work out. I kind of look at life in decades now. And looking at it that way, 
makes me sometimes impatient. When someone says, well, you know, by 2040, 2040, I don't, no, I don't want 2040, we're now. We got to do it now. So I'm hoping that we can come up with a value proposition that can move people to decide that it's in their best interest, if nothing else, their best interest, that we come together and start doing things that really pull us out of this relentless, commodified life that we lead. You know, I'm almost a senior. I don't want to be a senior. I'd like to cultivate some wisdom in my life and be an elder, but I'm certainly not interested in becoming a senior looking for discounts at the Shoppers Drug Mart. It's just not doing it for me. I don't, and, and, and I don't want to be the guy that they look at and go, well, he might buy one more car, but he's not going to buy six more cars. If he bought six, I'd pay attention to him. I don't need that, and I don't think any of us need that. I think we, we live longer. Let's get together. Let's make it a more spiritually important life. So there's my rant. I feel agitated. I was hoping I'd feel better, but I feel agitated, which is a total bummer. Um, on to my guest. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Rev Daniel. Rev Daniel uh, apparently knew about me before I knew about him. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so so uh, the last name again? Rareton. You see, because I only know you as Rev Daniel. That's fine. <laughs> Do most people just know you as Rev Daniel? Uh, on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they just call me Daniel. Yeah. Do you? Do you? Some people like their honorific, and other people go, "Just call me Daniel." Um, I'm I'm not a big one for honorifics or titles. You see, I really think that a person has earned them. Uh, you know, uh, when I work in politics, I always call people like Minister, mm -hmm. Premier, mm -hmm. because you know what? They they got there. Uh, rabbis, I always mm -hmm. say rabbi, even if I'm good friends with them. And so I'm I'm going to, I don't care what you think. I'm going to call you <laughs> Rev Daniel. I'm not just going to call it's you It's always Daniel. good to have a guest on your show that you don't care what they think. I have no care yeah, to good. what you say. You cannot dissuade me you from You could this. be a member of my congregation with that <laughs> attitude. They don't care either. <laughs> How many people in your congregation? Oh, it depends on the weather and the Sunday. Well, the um, membership. How membership. What's your membership? Uh, we have a, I guess on our, our official parish list, we have about 400 people. Um, but I mean, on a typical Sunday between two services, we'd only get about half that. Well, that's not bad. So, not too bad. No, as far as mainline churches go. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a lot for us to talk about. Um, one of the things that you have always spoken about in your spiritual path is your sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. I do find the idea that we fixate so much on sexual orientation mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, and by the way, I have these major character flaws that you might want to know about. Yeah, well, there's people that know about those too. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, but a lot of people don't think about things like that. But if you mention sexual orientation, they're all over it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's, let's go to the point of when Daniel decides... Two things. One, that there is a spiritual calling in his life. Mm -hmm. And the other, that he is going to come to terms with his own sexuality. Which mm -hmm. one comes first? Ooh. Uh, I, I mean, they kind of run fairly parallel, actually. Um, I would say, I, I, w I, would say I, have, I had a sense of a, a calling. Uh, probably I was more clear about that before Ooh. I started to 
explore sexual identity. Um, so I mean, so, so tell me about that calling. How did how did that manifest itself? Um, I mean, I was always I, I was raised in a, a in my family was Anglican, uh, the church that I I now serve. Um, but they weren't super religious people. Um, it was always sort of there in the background, you know, in a right. good mainline Christian kind of Christmas and Easter way. Um, but and so you know, I I and I had a twin sister, so she was taken to church uh, along with me. But we had two very different experiences. Hers hers was sort of the typical. Uh, this is boring, and and at what age can I, you know, right. decide not to go anymore? I was more intrigued by it all. I I wanted to know what those symbols meant, and why we did what we did, and 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 why people were. I was I was intrigued by the fact that people the people there seemed to be taking all this very seriously, and yet I didn't see that it was having a huge impact <laughs> on how they were right. living, and and that just that that fascinated me. So. I mean, I, I think from an early age, I, I did a lot of my own reading and, and trying to make sense of the Bible, uh, which I didn't get very far with as a, as a young child. Um, and then uh, when I was in university... Um, well, wait a minute. I want to yeah. stop there because okay. there's a, two pieces of that. One is what I believe is our failure to transmit spiritual ideas to children. Yes. Right? Yes. The, the, and even if we are successful at whatever pedagogy we use, mm -hmm. we end up with a pediatric kind of view of religion that when mm -hmm. your sister mm -hmm. says, okay, I'm out, mm -hmm. finally, I don't, they can't make me go. Mm -hmm. She's left with this pediatric yes. Christianity or pediatric religion that's really about miracles and fairy tales and mm -hmm. magic, and but is not really grounding in any way well i would say there's there's people that are you know are in church every sunday for 60 years and still stay yeah. rooted in that kind of like you say pediatric religion yeah um and people who've given it up who when you ask them why they'll give you the reasons that it's just a bunch of nonsense yeah why am i supposed to believe this yeah what do you mean the red seas parted yeah it's just crazy yeah i mean i think you know i i, I mean in some ways i I've, I've come to think very much about that you know, the parable of the sower where, you know, Jesus is talking about sowing seeds and some fall on this kind of soil and others fall. On. And I mean, I think, I think the church has to do a better job of, of, um, of teaching people to enter into the mystery and, and, and how, what, and how that actually applies to our lives. Um, but at the same time, I think people approach the, the divine and spirituality in different ways and, sure. I, and, and, you know, and at different times. And I think, um, I think you can, you can sow the seed, but it doesn't necessarily fall on ground that's ready for it then. Mm. Um, uh, so I don't, I, you know, like, I mean, there's a thing in Torah that says, and I've mentioned this before that really you don't teach someone Torah till they're 20. Yeah. You yeah. Just don't bother. Yeah. It's not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder about that because the other thing you mentioned when you said you were a kid sitting in a church mm -hmm. was really about the theater of church, the ritual of church, the process, all of that. I mean, well, which I, and I don't mean pejoratively. No, no, no. I and mean, I mean, that was one of the things that was attractive to me. Right. And one of the, I think one of the differences between myself and my sister, my sister toddled off to Sunday school where she colored pictures and did, you know, what children were supposed to do. Yeah. I, I insisted on staying in church with the adults because that's where the drama was happening. Right. Didn't know what it meant, but I knew that there was something important happening there and right. it was more important than flannel graph pictures of Jesus. <laughs> right so and i think that's one of the things we the mistakes we've made actually with children and, and in terms of pedagogy is we've we've separated 
the younger generation and sent them off to their own space and and you know um and part of it is just to immerse them in the experience right. and let them make of it what they will. Well, we used to just sort of wander around trying to avoid sitting beside our fathers. You, well, you, but you were allowed to do that in synagogue? Yeah, but so you moved uh, it, in the Moroccan tradition that I was uh, brought up in. Um, it started off kind of egalitarian when we came to Canada because it was a traditional people, not an orthodox right, people. Right. But then the only people who really were as intent on keeping the traditions in, in, the, in the way of the old mm-hmm. were the orthodox, so that we became more orthodox right, that way, right? Right. which is unfortunate as far as I was concerned. Because then we got into the mechitza, which is the separating wall between the women and the oh, men, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. that I can't do. Yeah. I, I just don't believe that yeah. women and men have separate uh, duties uh, spiritually and religiously. Mm-hmm. And I have lots of relatives who believe totally that that's what you're mm-hmm. supposed to do. But what we used to do is sort of just go from one just wall wander. over <laughs> either side of the wall because kids can do anything till they're 13. There's no mm. no need for them to fast on Yom Kippur. There's none mm-hmm. of that. You do whatever you want. But we would just float in and out. But it was the culture that was getting us, yes. not yeah. not the teaching. Yep. Right? We didn't stop and go, now that's interesting yeah. because there's you know, Nachshon. He was the guy who actually walked into, like, forget it. <laughs> you weren't interested in that. But you were, you were connecting with the community. Yeah, and, and we were taught how to read Hebrew the way the Catholic were taught how to you know yeah. pray in latin yeah. there are faults to that too mm-hmm. though because you can stop someone in the middle of a, a synagogue service and go excuse me i know you've been doing this prayer for 42 years <laughs> do you know what it means and <laughs> in, in english and in, no i but, but see, I, I love to do that with my it. congregation right like with parts of the liturgy it's like yeah. do, you, do you know why we do this and um, I mean, I think that's that's one of the things that I've discovered is people are actually really hungry to understand because they don't. Um, right. And it's been assumed that they do know and they don't. It's also there's something to the idea that I, I don't need to know. I just need to be here with everybody. Yes. And it's done for me. And and, and yeah, that's the problem. Well, how do you feel kind about of performative that? Thing. I, I really don't like this sort of, oh, I like that priest. He's he's I like him. Yeah. I mean, it's showbiz at that point, And I, I kind of find that. Well, I mean, there's, you know, on one hand, you're, it's, it's, it, you know, you talked about the importance of community. So, I mean, there's always the, the issue of relationships, right? I mm. mean, uh, you know, it's important that I, I have relationships with the people in my, within boundaries, <laughs> within, you know, with my congregation, that I'm not just a figurehead, but that they actually have a sense of who I am as a person and I have a sense of them. But on the other hand, you're always saying this is about more than just me. You know, your relationship is with this community. It's with a faith tradition that's much bigger than just this church. Um, and I'm going to, you know, I, I, I came, I'm going to go at another time. It can't mm-hmm. just be about me. It can't just be about your friend sitting in the pew next to you. It's got to be you, those that might be the way in. You know, I've we've had I've had people join my congregation because they connected with me on Twitter, for instance. Or, but you see, that's why I said uh, I can't just say Daniel. Yeah. Because you sh- you should be Reverend Daniel. That doesn't mean that yeah. I give give away my power to you. Right. Yeah. It just means that I recognize you as a conduit for a larger thing than either of us. Right. So I'm totally fine if you want to call me Rev Daniel. Senior I just wouldn't that. insist on that. Because for some people, <laughs> yeah, those yeah, honorifics yeah. get in the way, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you don't walk up to the Pope and go, what's going on, big guy? Well, <laughs> I, have a this this I have a feeling this Pope <laughs> might be, well, actually, no, not, not since seeing the video of him slapping hands. I don't no, know. No, I like that. <laughs> well, I like, I, I've, I've, I, uh, have you read his encyclical on climate change? Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It truly is fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
I, I bumped into uh, David Suzuki at an, an event a while ago, and we used to work together at the CBC. Right, right. So we knew each other, and uh, I was working at a college, and he was there to speak. Uh, and he said, you know, I'm, you know that I'm really not a religious person. I said, yeah, yeah, I know, atheist, scientist, I get it. He goes, all right, confession. I read the encyclical on climate change from the Pope, and I cried halfway through it. Really? Yeah. He said, it truly moved me. And see, we're, but we're not, you know, people don't hear about that. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about the Pope slapping someone's hand or the Pope, what, you know, the Pope well, still don't, won't let gay men be priests or whatever. Well, that is important. I'm not saying that's not important, <laughs> but but, it, but like you said, we fixate on certain things, right? Of course. Well, you know, we all have our point of entry to yeah. things. All right. So let's go back to the calling was making itself more manifest as, even mm-hmm. as a child. Mm-hmm. You, you understood that there was something in this. Mm-hmm that called you to say, I want to be part of this. Mm -hmm. So then you're put in a position where your emerging sexuality says, I'm not heterosexual. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it would be much easier for me if Mm -hmm. I was. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be a lot of trouble. Yep. What made you stick to it? Well, I I mean, I guess that's the, the short answer would be God, right? I mean, I think for me, that was part of the that was part of the sign that this is a calling because I had every good reason to sort of say, this isn't for me or I'm not, I'm not what the church is looking for, or this isn't going to be easy. Um, in, in fact, it may not even be possible, right? Someone's going to object based on this and they won't even ordain me. Um, but the, the, the draw, the pull was still there. And, you know, and I've, I've had lots of conversations with people over the years who are feeling a, um, a calling to some kind of ministry and, you know, and one of the things I always say is, is when you come up with your list a mile long of all the good reasons you shouldn't do this and you're probably not the right person to do it. And yet that feeling still is there and won't yeah, go away. Yeah. You need to pay attention to that. Like anything. Yeah. If it keeps coming back up, there's a reason for it. Yeah. But uh, you, you, I, you lowered your expectations, right? Like you thought, well, maybe they'll, maybe I can just sort of be gay, but no one needs to know I'm gay. Yeah. It was the don't ask, don't tell idea. And I, and you know, at that time I was thinking that's, that's the best I can hope for. That's the best you could hope for. You know? And yet it didn't work out that way. No. God has better ideas. <laughs> Were you surprised that you actually got to become yourself and become a priest? I'm, I'm, I was surprised that it, it, I, I was surprised that I had as much support that I, that I did. Um, and that it actually happened as, uh, as smoothly and as easily for me as it did. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always aware that I'm in a fairly privileged position as a, as a gay man in the church. I, I came into a church at a particular time right. where they were starting to move on that. And there was a lot of support for me, even within the institution. Um, and, you know, and I was doing so living in a fairly liberal, multicultural, accepting part of the world. That's, you know, and, and, and my experience with other people is that's just not, that's not typical, right? No, I mean, there are still uh, countries in this world, one our prime minister put just to death. visited, where, uh, yeah, you, you literally are, are going to be killed for this. Mm-hmm. And and when I was a kid, uh, growing up in show business, mm-hmm. it was a completely normalized idea that someone was gay or wasn't gay. It didn't matter. It was like we were all in it together. Or as a friend of mine said about musicals, uh, that that is the, that is the uh, music of my people. Right. <laughs> right? Exactly. And so that was just all normal stuff. I but did you, musical theater in high yeah, school, right? by the way. Of course you did. <laughs> 
but you know, I did too, though. Okay, so yeah, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. I enjoyed doing that one. We did a takeoff on Fiddler on the Roof at my United Synagogue Youth thing called Gong in the Roof. No. I can't even believe we did that. That's just like a horrible memory. I had my mouth frozen that day because I'd had a, a cavity uh, filled. Mm. In those days, that took like half an hour. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I remember being on the wings. I'm digressing completely. And I look, I see my dad, my right. Moroccan dad, you know, brown skinned and yeah, yeah. sitting and I'm just looking at him and I'm thinking, oh, my father's here. Oh my God, I hope this, my mouth is frozen. My mouth, what am I going to do? <laughs> and as soon as I got out there, I didn't realize that adrenaline could do this. Mm. But the freezing went completely out of my mouth. And it was like, hello, and I just started talking. <laughs> it was just like that. And I thought, wow, I like being in the theater. You can forget your pain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was the good part. And maybe and there's some connections there with, with, with religion and church, too. Right? Well, and, yes, it's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. That, uh, well, the transcendency, because there's one thing you mentioned while, we were t while you were talking about the experience. You said to let themselves engage in the mystery. Mm -hmm. That's a very loaded Word. Yeah, and often, it, it, you know, and I, 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 even as I was saying it, there was a part of me that was rolling my eyes a little bit because, I mean, I've heard, you know, that can be used in such a, you know, it's like a cop-out. Well, it's a mystery, meaning you don't have to try oh, to understand and nor do I have to try to explain it. But, I mean, I think my experience is the, the, the deeper you go into it, the more... It, it, you realize the mystery of it, right? It's it, it's like scientists, you know, is saying you, they they're they're quantum physics. You know, the more you the more you explore and the more you explain and the more the more you realize that there is is more that we don't understand. And we have a problem with that because we live in a rational age, and mm -hmm. rationalism since the Enlightenment has been the way to be. Well, what you can understand, you can control. Right. So then that goes to the question of, well, why would I believe in God? I can't, f I can't see it, mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, which the answer is often, well, why do you believe in love? Mm -hmm. You can't see that either, but you sure spend a lot of time worrying about it and trying to make sure it happens and hold on to it. And well, and that's, you know, for me, that's what, you know, belief is about is, is it's, a, it's about, it's an experience of something that I may have a hard time articulating to someone else, but I, you know, it's like love. You, you, you people know what you mean because they've had their own experience of it, which right. may not be exactly yours, but there's something they can touch that goes, oh, that's what you're talking about. And for me, it's, it's helping to people people to understand that's what I mean by God. And I like, <coughs> I like mystery. Mm -hmm. Like, I like not knowing. I like being confused and staying confused. It's certainty that scares <laughs> Some me. Some of us are very good at confusion. <laughs> right. It, it's, but it scares me to yeah. be certain. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's the way it is. You know? Well, yeah. and people confuse certainty and faith, right? Oh, and, absolutely. I mean, the very word faith suggests I have to trust because I don't know. Especially I'm not in clergy. Yes. Like it, the clergy I speak to, when we talk about the notion of God, mm -hmm. you know, they're like, you know, people just think that I am dead certain that I know exactly what God is and yeah. what it, what feels like, looks like, smells like, tastes like. Mm -hmm. And I, it changes all the time. There are times where I'm a thousand miles away from it and there's times right. where it's right inside me. Yep. You know, so there, that, that's, to me, I trust those people more. Mm. Because the ones who are certain scare me. It's the Chinese proverb: to be to be uncertain is uncomfortable. To be certain is ridiculous. Yeah, right. right? Well, I mean, I, as I say, I've said to people, you know, my job is not to be the lighthouse up on the on the you know hill saying I 
I've gotten there and now I'm just going to show you how to get there. It's my job is to actually be down on the road with you walking, mm. going, I think it's this way. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's head oh, down and see. Guy. Yeah. And if it's not, I, I think we can go this way. If it's not, then we'll backtrack together and figure out a different way. Yeah. But for some people, if, if they go down that road and you were wrong, that's it for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll find other companions that want to keep walking with me then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. All right, let's talk a little bit about that word, that uh, four-letter word in this society, God. Yeah. So if I say God, mm-hmm. what do you say to me? What is, what is that? Uh, for me, God is, is more of a who than a what. Okay. Uh, which, you know, it, and it's that, it's, it, it, I think people struggle with the anthropomorphism Yes, the Disneyfication. Yes, God. exactly. Yes. You know, and I mean, I'm not talking about the old man, the sky with the beard, but but I think God is relational. You know, so for you know, for me, God can't be sort of like the force of Star Wars, right? Where there's just this power that's kind of there, and if you if you know the right words or the right actions, you you can somehow control it. It's God for me is 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 a being to be in relationship with a being, a, an well, actual being. Well, I experience God in that way, but I think God is beyond being. I think I think being comes from God. So it's a no, mis- no, it's I, a mystery, Ralph. No. <laughs> oh well, good that's settled. You see, because I, I, I'm not a believer that in my own way mm-hmm. that God is a noun, a thing. Yeah, a verb. It is. God a verb. is. Yeah, yeah. It is a verb um, to me. Uh, it, it's well, a, so maybe maybe God is more of a doing than a being. Well, it, it's a to me, it's a kind of a flow, mm-hmm. a, a, a relentless creative flow mm-hmm. that I have no idea. See, in Judaism, God's unknowable. Yes. Period. Yeah. So you don't go to a definition with any kind of confidence because right. it's unknowable and who, who am I to start telling you I know what it is? And yet I need a, a particular and a universal. So the universal is unknowable. The particular is I'd like to have a conversation. Yes. I'd like to yeah. talk to something. Now, you guys have a real advantage here because mm. you have a guy. Y- 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 advantage a guy. and disadvantage well, in the sense why? that, well, it, because, you know, we because then we have a God that is, so that is knowable yes and yes and so i see that as the advantage but then the disadvantage is then we we uh we also give up the or we can sometimes give up the the transcendence and the unknowability of god and our whole history as christians is about heresies and and dogmas and defining and what is God and what is not God and, and who's in and who's out depending on their right. certainties, it right? It can be very divisive. So Matthew yeah. Fox, mm-hmm. right? He, yep. go, he goes to, look, folks, it's Jesus all the tree. Mm-hmm. This whole thing's become about this guy. Right, right. Uh, and he wanted creation spirituality. He wanted wonder and awe. Right. And that the wonder and awe, the reason, one of the reasons we have, like I was ranting at the beginning, one of the reasons we have a climate crisis mm-hmm. is because we have very little respect for wonder and awe. I mean, look through a Hubble telescope at a picture of, yeah. of, the, of the galaxies, let alone the universe itself, and you think, what is this? What are we in the middle of? And I, I agree with you. I think that we do lack that. For me as a Christian, I always, I always struggle with that um, amongst my own people because I'm, because it's like, look, we're, we're one of those, we're one of the few faith groups that say God 
entered, divinity entered into creation, became incarnate, took on a human body, lived amongst us. We say that. And yet, and yet we seem to disregard the sanctity and the sacredness of the very material that we say God actually entered into and became part of. Right. You know, you'd think that a religion that puts incarnation at the center of its belief system would say, so the material world is good and sacred and needs to be, uh, you know, needs to be cared for. Um, and, and we need to see the, the divinity in that. And we don't. So... There's an evangelical church down the street from my house, uh, a new one, mm-hmm. very popular, lots of young families yep. going. They um, got that going for them. Can't find the car, place to park my, my car on the right. street. You know, it's really happening. And uh, somebody was putting out painted rocks with little sayings on them. One of them was, God is good. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wanted to find the person to say, first of all, If you don't mind, you know, landscape proselytizing isn't exactly what I had in mind. Uh, (laughs) Not exactly our thing. Um, But then I I wanted to say that I found that to be a very limited idea of what a God is. Mm. That God is also, takes in the horribleness of people and the horribleness that can happen and Mm -hmm. the the things we can't console ourselves to. God Mm. is also in Auschwitz mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. It, but it's what we as human beings do with it that right. is the difference it's not yeah. and so when someone says to you God is love yeah. I, I've always thought that's very nice I, I don't understand it can you explain that to me if, if it makes sense to you well I, I I mean I'm I've I think I'm learning what that means I think I think I've always held to that but what exactly does that mean to say God is love and for me I mean it goes back to what you were talking about, God not being a noun, but a verb, Ooh. right? Um, uh, this sort of back and forth thing. But also for me, that that underlines the relational aspect of God because because how do you have love unless you have unless you have a being that is loving, that's giving the love, and a being that's receiving that the love. Human? Isn't that just another disnification that we would give human emotions to mm-hmm. what God is? Well, I mean, it, it depends on how you're looking at it. You can either say we're projecting our own, um, our own human emotions onto the divine, or you can say the reason we have those emotions and the reason, the reason we recognize it is okay. because it's, a, it, it's connecting us to something that, right. that's bigger than us. right. So, in your faith, in your practice, in your life, what p- part does being gay play? What's well, a part of who I am? So it's, um, it, I mean, it, it it's it's an integral part of my identity. So I mean, it's not it's not something I compartmentalize and say. I'm not having sex right now, so this doesn't matter. Or, you know, because of course sexuality is about more than just that, right? Yeah. And it's something that I think that the church still struggles with is understand having a theology of sexuality and an embodiment. Um, but hey, that'd be something to write. Well, uh, there's a lot that are writing on it right now. Um, None but you, me, oh, yeah. I, I'll get to that. I haven't, even, <laughs> I haven't even got Sunday sermon yet done, Ralph, but I'm sure I'll get Forget to that. Forget the sermon. I'm talking book here. Okay, okay. The theology of sexuality. Well, yeah. And yeah. Um, so I think that, I mean, it, 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 it plays an important role for me in the sense that my experience as a gay man, and I say this as a, as a white, middle-class, fairly privileged gay man, so mm-hmm. I understand the privilege there, um, but even still, my experience as a gay man 
has given me an experience of being ostracized, of being uh, silenced, of being you know, rejected. Of, and and for me, my in terms of my spirituality, that 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 plays a huge role in understanding what I think God is calling us to do in terms of uh, reconciling those that have been pushed aside, of reaching out to those that have been condemned, of judging those because they're different. So, um, you know, the whole experience of exile and return, you know, um, this is your home and, and God brings you back to it. I mean, I, I can relate to that in some ways. When you realized you were gay, did you think to, I, I don't know if I would, a part of me would feel uh, relieved and happy, mm. but another part of me would feel heartbroken that I'm going to be having a harder life. Oh yeah, I mean that was I think that was my parents' reaction. I, right. I, I mean I grew up in a home where there were there, it was acknowledged that there were gay people, and I know my parents had friends who were gay and lesbian. So on one hand, I saw that they weren't rejected, right. which gave me some assurance. But on the other hand, we didn't talk about it. And there was right. still that sense of this isn't a good thing. Um, and I think that, you know, for when I came out, I think that was my, my parents' biggest concern. It wasn't that they had a problem with that I was gay, but that they knew life was going to be harder for me because of it. So are they both still alive? No, they're both uh, They're deceased. both passed. Yeah. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. Within four months of each other, actually. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's a thing. Mm. That's a thing. When our when our parents go, especially mm -hmm. if you've had both parents go, then you're yeah. you're an orphan. But it makes me realize. Actually, it's interesting you say that because my my sister said that to me uh, a while after they'd both passed, and she said, "You know, I just feel like I feel like I'm in an orphan." And she said, "Don't you feel that way?" And I and I didn't have that feeling, and I I thought about what's the difference between our experiences, and then I realized. I, I have a sense of myself as part of this, and I don't want to romanticize the church or anything like that. I certainly have my struggles with it, but I have a I have a connection with a community that I, I don't feel like I'm an orphan, where she didn't have that. Right, and that that for me that underlined part of oh that's part of what this does for me is it, it anchors me in a narrative and in a community that's bigger than just my my biological family. So I don't feel like an orphan. That's interesting. So she never became religious. I mean, it's there for her. And, you know, I'm, I like think it's I, part of what her. What does she think of what you're doing? I think she thinks that I will, if there is a heaven, she'll drop my name at the door and maybe that'll <laughs> get her in. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm looking for a Rev Daniel here. I do exactly. not see one. I've been avoiding you all of my life. Why would I want to <laughs> not do that for eternity? No, he I'm kidding. I love you, Corey. He doesn't seem to be on the list. Get into the film festival. You can do, but you can't get into heaven. I don't know. It's so crazy. I mean, think about it. A gay man mm. married. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't at when I was ordained. No, right? but, but yeah, look at, yeah, you know, middle class, as you say, yeah. um, creating family, like, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's, it's four, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might give you some faith that uh, religions are living things. Oh, I think that, I mean, it, that's definitely affected how I, you know, it's like, I, I think, I think the, I, the spirit is, is moving us in a, in a direction. I think we, we can detour it. We can, we can become an obstacle to it. We can slow it down. Um, but it's like, you know, it's like Martin Luther King said, you know, the arc of, mm -hmm. of history, you know, is it bends towards justice. It's a very big, long arc sometimes. You but do I, believe that? I though. do. I do. I do. So that's what I'm having trouble with right now. Yeah. I was think I was reflecting on that at the beginning with your, your rant. Yeah. Cause it's hard. 
you know. I mean, it we, is. we are, if you're a student of history, you're deeply worried right now because the, the trends uh, mm-hmm. of authoritarianism yes. and xenophobia and targeting, and, you know, as a Jewish guy, yeah. we're always hypersensitive to that. I mean, yep. I remember when Stephen Harper sent out uh, mm-hmm. Jewish high holiday mm-hmm. cards to people, mm-hmm. and I thought, this guy doesn't understand who we are. We don't like when people know where we live. Yes. Well, right. it makes us uncomfortable. I was thinking about that. This, I mean, I was thinking about that this morning with the whole, um, uh, you know, the RCMP and the, you know, the indigenous, um, mm-hmm. the, the protests. With and, Suen, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it, not to get all political, but I mean, I, you know, uh, Trudeau was talking about, you know, the rule of law and, I, and I'm a, and I'm a Trudeau fan, but I, I was, I was listening to him and I was thinking, but the fact that it's the, the, the rule of law has justified a whole lot of horrible things that we would all agree were immoral and wrong and we don't want to go there again. Uh, the rule of law put, you know, put uh, ki- indigenous kids in residential schools. Anglican ones. Yes. You yeah. know, yeah, and, no, no. And, and, and Catholic. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> way to spread share the, the jam. Where to spread the and some jam. Presbyterian. Yeah. No synagogues. If you'll notice, cause I we weren't allowed that. in. Exactly. You know, there were, there were quotas at medical school, at, uh, at post-secondary institutions for mm. how many Jews you could have in, in, uh, medical school. Wow. Yeah, no, these are things, this is what we do to each other. But see, this is, this is also what, I mean, I think you're right. When you have a sense of history, you, you, that can give you a sense of, you know, hyper awareness of these, of these bad things that are happening. But also I, I try to have a, a sense of history that also, yes, we go through these things and, 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 and they're horrible and people suffer and we try to avoid that and we don't, and we want to learn from history. But my sense of history also is that there's a, we move through those, right. those dark times and hopefully come out the other side. And, um, well, I mean, we, we, we convulse. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's such a thing as, as progress mm-hmm. uh, that is an incremental positive Linear. thing. No, no. I think that there's pendulums. Yes. And I think that it, within every person is the same struggle. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, Bible is not about literal historical events, even though some of them are grounded in those things. Yeah. It's really uh, metaphorical. If I'm looking for Pharaoh, I'm not looking for the actual Pharaoh Ramses II. I'm I'm looking for the tyrant inside me. Well, and that's why these stories still speak and and still and still carry truth and teach us. But because how, but how many clergy stand up in front of congregations and say what God wants from you and God said this and mm-hmm. God told the people and to me I'm just want to interrupt them and go excuse me. Uh, it's not a guy. Yeah. Well, and right? that, the Lord King of the universe. It's yeah. not what we're talking about here. It's but people are responding bigger. with that, right? By they're responding with their feet. They're by by just not being there. Right. So what? Right? You, okay. So there, there's the the next thing. There is the crisis of of, of disengagement, of decoupling. Mm-hmm. That people have decided that they want their spirituality, but they don't want their religion. Mm-hmm. Um, you're one of the people who has to try to figure out how to keep the membership up, how to get the pews full, yeah, how to yeah. make sure that, you know, your church is not a hollow shell that no right. longer serves the community. What do you, you must be knocking your head against the wall. Constantly, constantly. And, and I think there's, you know, there's a struggle with, on one hand, there's the reality of how do we bring more people in and how do we have enough money to keep going and how do we make this a quote unquote success, right? Um, 
you know, and, but on the other hand, this is about more than, this is not just a product I'm trying to sell. And, and it's not about just coming up with the latest gimmick that will, you know, which is what a lot of people get into. Well, it's tough, right? It is a retail business. Yeah. You have customers, you have to make them happy and they got to show up. And head office is asking you for your statistics and, (laughs) you know, and, and, and making decisions based on that. Yeah. 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 And so that, that's a real part of the job. But on the other hand, I also have to believe that, um, you know, yes, that people say the church is dying. And I, for me, I always want to say, well, yes and no. There's, there's parts of it that are dying. There's, there's forms of religion and, and institutions that are dying. Maybe they're supposed to die. Right. You know, I, I'm part of a faith that talks about death and resurrection. So if we're going to talk about death, what, what is being resurrected? What, what new thing is coming to birth? And maybe we need to be focusing on that as much as, you know, bewailing what's dying. What do you say when people use scripture to say that you are not legitimate as a gay man, you are not legitimate because they do use scripture to of say, course, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I can use scripture to battle, get into a, a, you know, a Bible battle with them. Although I don't always, I never found that to be helpful uh, in moving anyone's uh, changing anyone's mind. No. For me, to me, you know, people will say, how do you reconcile being gay and being Christian or being gay and being a, a, a minister? Um, and I always just say, well, I don't have to reconcile it. it. You know, God did that himself, you know, when he, she, it, they called me. <laughs> I'm a Trinitarian. <laughs> uh, when God called me and, and, and tr- decided to call a gay person to, uh, you know, serve as a priest in the church, God, God, God did the reconciling. My job is to live that out. So when they literally use lines of scripture, mm-hmm. you know, did, did you ever used to watch the West Wing? Yes. Okay. So do you remember that one where uh, Sheen as the yes. president walks in and is the talk show radio host? Yep. Yeah. And this is, I just have a few questions for you. So my brother does not keep the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out, do I have to stone him to death yes. or can the community stone him to death? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, there's, there's, you can justify anything by drawing out lines yeah. of scripture out well, of context. Well, look, it's no right? different than politics. Yeah. I mean, uh, in political communications, the name of the game is to cherry pick the statistics to frame the narrative that you want people to believe and ignoring the rest of the actual real numbers, mm-hmm. and in that way, lying to people by omission. Yes. Right? And yeah. this is what every political party does all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's brutal to our, our sense of civilization and culture that we have this. Had, the other part of that is absolutism. You are absolutely mm-hmm. wrong yes. if you are the NDP and I am the conservatives, and yeah. I am absolutely right. And then you flip that and flip that. And all we get is this, what we have now, and you and I both, you know, live on Twitter in certain ways, mm. <laughs> is this polarization. Yes. Right? And, that, and that, it's funny because you mentioned that because I was listening the other day to um, uh, CBC Ideas, you know, yes. and they were, they were re, uh, rebroadcasting Massey lectures from, I think, the set, set 1974. And uh, George Steiner, I think, oh. Oh, was, yeah. he was talking about the... the uh, what, the nostalgia for the absolute. And this was in the ni- 1974, mm-hmm. and yet it's so relevant, some of the things he was saying. And I think that's what something we, we always struggle with, both in, in politics and too. in religion, yeah. right? We want the absolute. We want, we want certainty, like you were saying. We want black and white. I want to know I'm on the right team. I'm in. And part of knowing that I'm on the right side is, is about knowing who's on the wrong side and, and defining myself up and against that. And that's something that I, I, you know, I see that on social media. Um, it's always been part of religion, and I really struggle against that, you know? All right, so here's one in terms of 
people just saying it's just true and then me saying as a tourist and on this particular thing because I'm, I'm not christian um the virgin mary <laughs> just, that's okay. out of left field okay yeah Let, yeah let's talk about the virgin mary yeah because to me that's one of those things where a person in the pediatric like we were speaking at the beginning mm. if that's what you were taught that there was this virgin who gave birth mm-hmm. because god inseminated her basically mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. average rational person goes come on mm-hmm. what are you nuts mm-hmm. How do you how do you explain it to me so that I can understand it in a way that I don't need you to prove it to me? Right. Well, no, I can't. <laughs> it's, it's a miracle. It's a mystery. <laughs> but explain something I can derive from that story that makes my life a better thing. Uh, I think uh, you've got um, you've got the incarnation of God um, depend. Uh, depending on you so you, you start with this this young peasant girl who mm. in in the context of her own culture is about as low as you get on the totem pole in terms of power and agency um and and god asks her if she will be part of this this plan uh to to for the incarnation of the divine um and and you know no one's asking her father no one's asking her fiance to you know her husband to be no one's asking her older brother it's up to her whether she wants to give herself uh, and and her most inner being her most um private self to god and that's on, that's completely her choice um and that and that god waits for her to say yes um uh it's it, you know god doesn't force anything um and it's up to her and uh, when the divine is, when we're able to open ourselves unreservedly to the divine and allow the divine into our most deepest, private, intimate self, something divine is born of that. Hmm. Hmm. Chewing on that. That's good. I'm going to write that ah. down for next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Why am I wasting all my A stuff on this guy? Exactly. He's I not even a Christian. to write for the love of Pete. And I mean Pete. Um, <laughs> oh, poor Pete. <laughs> poor Pete. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be John, but then I wouldn't have a head and it'd all be off. Yeah. Uh, so, no, but here's the thing. Uh, even when you were saying that to me, I was thinking to myself, it's so, uh, it's so much what you're born into in most cases mm-hmm. that you're willing to believe is narrative, right? Yeah. So me as a, as, as a Jewish person is listening to that and thinking, yeah, you know, you could rationalize it that way. But then the other part of it is, does that story divorce us from our sexuality? That if something is so divinely inspired that it transcends sexual acts, it Mm -hmm. transcends sexuality, because sexuality is beneath that kind of thing. And it's certainly been used to do that. It's been used to, it's been used to uh, divorce us from our sexuality. It's been used, especially against women. Um, you know, yeah. that the only good woman is a virgin who somehow also manages to be a mother. Um, and you know, um, and that's what we, that's what men put up on a pedestal. And, right. I, and yes, I think Mary so has been a very difficult. Pieces. Yeah. yeah. So, I, but there's been a lot done on reclaiming Mary from a feminist standpoint um, that, that she's, that she can be a, a way in as opposed to an obstacle. Does feminism have a place in your particular church? Um, yes. And well, in the sense, when you say my church, you mean that my congregation, yeah. um, I'm very, I'm, I mean, I'm very open about the equality of, of male and females. Um, I I'll, mean, would you deconstruct the Virgin Mary narrative in a sermon 
like you just did now in terms of its effect as a patriarchal device? I, I, I would address it. I mean, the thing you can only do so much in a sermon and you're also talking to a whole group of people who are all in different places. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I probably could go more into that in a study group or right, a, a right. Bible study. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could cer- I, I certainly would in a sermon talk about the difficulty people have and how, s- and I certainly have done this, how certain stories, certain images from the Bible are, have been used and misused um, and how we can see them differently. And I think that's part of what people are looking for. You have a very political job too, right? I mean, you can, yes. although it's funny how many people will say politics has no place in the, in oh, religion, nonsense. but how can you deny that? It I'll does? tell you, there was a, one of my teachers, um, <clears throat> Reb Zalman, Shakhtar Shalomi. Mm-hmm. Um, so Reb Zalman was hired in a synagogue uh, at one point and decided for the Friday night service, he was going to do something really interesting. Uh, so he had everybody come in and said, no, put the books down. We're all good. We're going to just sit in mm. silence. And, and they had to meditate. And then he did a guided meditation, you know, and he thought this went really well. <laughs> and then he gets a phone call from the chair of the board. Right. And he's called into the Thursday board meeting and he go, they go, Reb Zalman. Yep. And there's a stack of prayer books beside the guy. And he goes, you see these? Mm. We paid for these. Mm-hmm. We expect you to use them. them. And yeah. that was that. Yeah. And he realized that you can't pull a congregation towards a, an idea or uh, uh, something that you believe to be the next thing, you've got to find ways to plant the seeds and see if they go that way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and <coughs> you know, and, and even, even the, you know, the things we're talking about, I mean, some, you know, people in, in a congregation might say, you know, oh, you're being politically correct, right? Well, yeah. no, I'm, I'm actually talking about like, you might see it that way. I see it as I'm addressing issues of inequality and injustice, which are very biblical issues, you know? Um, So people will say all the time, you know, how do you keep politics out of the pulpit? Well, you can't, but there's a difference between being political and partisan. You know, I'm not going to stand in the pulpit and say, this is the party you should vote for in the next election. But I might say, here are some issues that are on the table that we as Christians and as Canadians are facing and what does, what does our faith teach about some of these things? And then it's up to them to decide what they're going to do with their vote based on that. Um, but to suggest that politics needs to, you know, that, there's, that it's not political, that's, that then you're saying your faith has no actual application to life because life is political. So what do you do as clergy for self-care? Uh, days off, Sabbath, the issue of Sabbath becomes really important. And that used to just be a word to me. And I've, I've come to realize what it means to, to, uh, you know, not wait until work is done, but to say it, you know, it is the Sabbath. So I am not doing work. Um, I am not available. Um, having healthy boundaries around. So Sunday, accessibility. Yep. So what's your Sabbath? So my, so my Sabbath is Monday. Monday. Yeah. And I, you know, I am not, a, things happen, you know, sometimes funerals happen and they have to happen yeah. on a Monday, but generally, no, I'm, I'm not available. I'm not up for meetings. I'm not calling in. I'm not checking my email and good. Oh, wow. about you that. see, that's our best invention. Mm-hmm. The one we nailed that one. No, come on. Seriously. We nailed that one. <laughs> email? <laughs> no, Sabbath. Oh, Sabbath. Yes. Yes. That's the that, email. Th- that's the one we, we really like took from you my dad used to watch anything on tv and as soon as he'd see somebody he's jewish (laughs) so he did that with dan rather once on Mm. cbs dad that's that he's not jewish no no he's jewish look at him (laughs) 
It's just because he really liked Dan Rather. Anybody he liked, they were Jewish. Must be a match. <laughs> no, but the Sabbath thing is, it, it really is our best export. Yeah. You know? Yes. Uh, and yet, you know, if the entire world took a Sabbath, mm-hmm. took a 25-hour break from everything and un- literally unplugged the machine, mm-hmm. uh, our GHG emissions would dramatically go down. 17% reduction in GHG emissions if you did that around the world. Yep. And yet, we can't stop. Well, I mean, even, you know, I'm, hamster I'm wheel. talking from a Christian perspective, but we talk about Sabbath and we talk about the importance of it. We don't do it. We don't do it. I always found it was a, a, a much weaker proposition in the Christian world than the Jewish world. Like in the Jewish world, oh, yeah. it, you never stop talking about it in prayers. You never mm-hmm. stop talking about it in liturgy. It's just there. Yeah. But in the Christian world, it, I think it was sort of an add-on. Wasn't it? Well, and in part, I think in the Christian world, it's a little bit, I think there's a bit of confusion because like, well, we know what the Sabbath is, but we don't practice it the way the Jews do. And, right. and, and so, and, and, you know, Sunday, Sunday is our day, uh, but it's, you know, the Lord's day is a day of worship. It's not really a day of rest. Uh, so I think the idea of Sabbath being about rest and stopping kind of got lost. Well, we do both. You're supposed to do worship. Yeah. Uh, as a, So six days of doing, one day of being. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But the rest of it really, if you're in the Orthodox part of the faith, you, you really literally shut the machine down. Yeah. You don't drive. You don't do laundry. You don't uh, turn on lights. Yeah. You don't, and, and, and people think of it as, you know, mildly Mennonite, uh, old school, or, you know, Amish. Uh, but, you know, there's a reason those people live that way. It, yeah. It's a prophylactic against the relentlessness of modernity. And know? I think the challenge is is, is, is taking it seriously and, and, and actually doing it, but at the same time, you know, it not becoming another legalistic, oppressive thing, right? Like, if the Sabbath is about freedom and about rest, you know, in, in the Christian, uh, you know, in, in Christian history, the Sabbath, you know, was very, uh, could be very oppressive. It was all about what you weren't supposed to do as opposed to what you were supposed to do. Mm. So. so here's a question. Do you ever tire of people identifying you as a gay uh, clergy? Like, do you ever think, yeah. oh, for the love of God, I'm just a, a yeah. human being? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, that's all people ever want to talk to me about, right? Really? And eh? get my opinion on. And um, So you're like the mascot for... yeah. This is what it looks like to be a gay clergy. Yep. Well, that must be just stultifying at times. <laughs> it's like but it also, I mean, you know, it, it it's it's important because. Um, yeah, but then you're supposed you to opportun- everything you do is is the measure of. It's it's like when I say to somebody, if I'm wearing a kippa, yeah, and I spit on the street, someone goes, "Oh, look at Jews spit on the street. Yes. That's what they do." Yeah. Oh, look at these gay clergy. The gay clergy do that. Like, don't you want to just go? Oh, you stop it already. Yeah, and I do, and I do. Oh, good. That's <laughs> self care. That's self care. That's it's just you know. <laughs> but you can't get away from that. I mean, it's part of it's it's part of who you are, and so you know you can either resist that or you can use it to to have some conversations that need to be had about sexuality and religion. Right. 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 So a double edged sword. Mm-hmm. But still, this definition of a person by their sexual orientation, we're still pretty hung up on this nonsense. Well, and that's part of why you also like for me. I, I it, it's about. People ask, why do you share so much on social media? And, you know, um, and, and, and I say and I do things that maybe don't fit in with people's idea of, of, a, of a minister or an mm-hmm. Anglican priest. But I think that's part of it is because I want them to realize I'm a whole person, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, my, the rev part is like my sexuality. It's interwoven through all of that. It's not a compartment. But, but there's more to it than your stereotype of what that means. Yeah. It's still, to me, it's, uh, 
I, you know, I've known different people in different ways that have ended up having, you know, someone who gets a certain kind of cancer and then has yeah. to become the, the poster boy for, you know, fight. What do you think of this thing? Uh, battling cancer, fighting cancer, I, I, you I, know, after a long struggle, yeah. after a long battle. What do yeah. you think of that kind of language? Um, well, I mean, because it, it, I, I, so I went through cancer. Um, I had leukemia when I was um, in uh, university. It's come back twice. Um, so I, you know, I've, I've been through that and I've used that language. But it also suggests that so if someone who has died, did they lose the war? Did they not fight hard enough? Right. Did they right. use the wrong strategy? Right. Um, you know, and I went through some survivor guilt around that because of all that language. And I was like, I don't remember fighting a war. I just lived and did what I was supposed to do because yeah. I wanted to live, right? Exactly. You know, and I didn't make some courageous decision to live. That's just inborn in me that I, I, I want to keep living. Um, but yeah, so I... I, I yeah, I think that's problematic. And what do you think of the of assisted dying? Oh, <laughs> you're kidding. <laughs> um, I think you I thought mean, this was going to be an easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to talk about gay stuff. Um, <laughs> what I, do you think of Hamilton? Because I can't afford to go. So if you've seen it, tell me. No. Hamilton. Um, yeah, whatever. I, All right. I I think uh, no, assisted dying is. I mean, it's. I think there. Are, I think there are really important discussions to have around that um i have been present uh to three people uh with three people who have had assisted deaths um, and and what and what was the experience like for all of them and for their families it was very it, uh, it was a difficult well for two of the families they were very supportive of this decision and and everybody was on the same page and in another case um the some of the family they were willing to support the choice because okay. there was nothing they could do about it, it, but this was not something that they were happy. And how about. did you feel about being there? Conflicted. Conflicted. Now, what's the conflict? Um, that it's not you're not letting God's path happen. Um, no, I don't it? think. No, I don't. I don't see it that way because okay. I see it. I, I do see it as is when someone is at the point of of you know suffering and and they're not going to get better and their death is inevitable but how long can we drag this on why should someone have to stick stick around and suffer longer well for some right? religious people they would just go well it's god's plan that this is the way this person is to yeah die. and but i don't i don't i mean you know so was i circumventing god's plan when i had chemotherapy to right. stop myself from dying of leukemia right you know and how were you I don't think so. And and I don't think a lot of the people who would argue be arguing against assisted death would have said that I did anything wrong either. So then, so then that's when I would say, well, so then what is the difference? Well, the free will is the, is the central part yeah. of this, right? I yeah. mean, that, that in, in Jewish tradition, that would be the central conversation. Yes. That we have been given free will. Yeah. Then we choose to, there are people who choose to have a macrobiotic diet to to yes. to work against cancer and yep. uh, in their body. Other people believe stop fighting your body, yep. become friends with, take the journey with the cancer right. and and move through it. Yep. And other people are fighting like hell. Yep. Right. So, but it's free will. Yes. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I. I, I, I for me, the conflict was I. I was. I think I. I you know, you talk about being, you know, reverend and, and, and all that. It, it, it's what, what I was worried about is, is I'm knowing that this is not a, a settled thing in my church. Right. And that yeah. even in my own congregation, right. there would be lots of different opinions. 
you know, your is your presence there, and I'm there for a pastoral reason. The person who's dying wants me to be there and accompany them on their last journey, so I'm not going to say no. But I'm also conscious that is my presence here saying to everybody in the room, including the doctors this. and nurses, yeah. I endorse this, or my church endorses it, which right. it doesn't, which it doesn't necessarily. Right. Um, so you know, that was an important conversation to have with the families that this is about this person's decision and I'm here to support you and your choices. This is not about what I think, although they, of course they asked me what I thought. Right. And, and what did you think when you, when the person was actually passing, Mm -hmm. what was going through you? Because it's, it's like at Wednesday at two, I will be dying and you're there and it's two, two Oh three and they're dying. Yep. Uh, This is not, being there for a last breath because you were there. No. It's because it's an appointment. Yeah, and there, and that appointment aspect kind of makes you think in terms of like an execution in a way, you know? Right. Um, except that this is something they're choosing to do. They're not, you know, yeah. the King of England hasn't decided to cut off their head. Um, and, you know, the experience of it was very peaceful. Um, they were able to close their eyes and last thing they see are the people that they want to see. They were able to say their goodbyes and say what they wanted to say. And, you know, they didn't suddenly go of a major heart attack and take everybody's surprise. And nobody was able to, you know, you didn't have family saying, I wish I'd had that moment to tell them I love them. They had that moment. Are you comfortable witnessing death? Yes. Why? Uh, because I because I believe that when we're letting go, there's there's someone else taking hold. And I don't I don't feel like I'm just sort of letting them go into the abyss. Is there a heaven? I believe so. See, we don't have heaven. We don't have heaven and hell. Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think it, it, again, I would say it depends on what people mean by heaven, right? You know, really nice condo. Oh, that wouldn't be heaven to me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a nice condo and I don't well, see it as heaven. The concierge service is apparently That's quite true, good. Yeah. You know, what, what to do today. Uh, no, it, it is that sense that we have in our limited human minds of another actual place mm-hmm. as opposed to this notion that I have, which is much more about the idea that we are a cellular spark of the divine yeah. cr- energy. Yeah that uh, reimagines itself in another way that is unknowable to me, as opposed to Ralph goes up and sees his dad yeah, uh, and his aunts and uncles and, you know. Well, I would say my, my idea of heaven is probably closer to what you just described, but, but at the same time, if, if we're going to say it's unknowable, I also can't say with certainty that it isn't. So, you know, if someone says... Right, but it, there's all, always an intuition of, of truth, right? That's We, we use that as yeah, a, a but I, and I think my... Like intu- is this resonating with my... If yeah. I'm... Because for some people, the question of, of belief isn't really about theologies and, and intellectual ideas. No. It's about be, when they're really actually present, mm-hmm. what comes to them. Yes. Right? And I think, I think what resonates with me, at least... Uh, is this idea of of um, of peace of of uh, union with um, union with whatever I believe God to be the divine? I believe in the eternity of love um, of what is what has been loved is is somehow never completely lost. But why wouldn't there then be the eternity of hate and the eternity of, of well? Ennui? I mean, th- those with and I th- those with the idea of of hell might suggest that there is. 
See, because that's the thing that always seems to surface is it's supposed to be about love. And I just think, well, that, that pleases me. Mm -hmm. But I think it might be a bit of a, uh, a duvet. You know, a nice comfy duvet. I don't think that love will always persist. And yet, when you talk to people who know they're going to be dying in a while, Mm -hmm. all that really matters to them anymore is who they've loved and who's loved them. Yes. So maybe that's what it's about. And I don't see love and hate as two, you know, two um, equal but opposite things. I think. No, they coexist. Yeah, and I think I think hatred is a yeah. Yeah. So I mean to be able to say that love can ex- you know can exist eternally but not hate. I don't have a I don't have an issue with that. Yeah, but you would want more love and promote love and 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 in some ways hold on to it. And for most people, uh hate is very toxic and they don't want to keep it. For other mm-hmm. people, hate keeps them going. Uh, you know, and yeah, it's but fear although, really, but it's yes, it's called hate. Yeah. Although I would say that it only keeps you going for so long, it'll ultimately destroy you. Yes. And that's where we're at again. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm worried. Um, <laughs> it brings us right back to right, our opening back to the beginning. Um, <laughs> Good bookend. So uh, I don't know if this was the conversation you were thinking we were going to have, but I I'm, was just open to whatever. You see, you're available. I am. Hineni to the mystery. Hineni in Hebrew. I am here. I am here, and I'm right? glad to be here. And so am I. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Wow, you get to talk to a Reverend Daniel. It's so cool. I haven't talked. I haven't talked to a rabbi yet on this show, have I? No. What, what's the I know deal? some cool rabbis. I know some cool <laughs> I'm rabbis. Sure you Maybe do. we should. <laughs> hey, do you ever have a conclave of of gay clergy? Of uh, gay clergy, yeah. I I was also uh, just a couple years ago. I was in a show in the Toronto Fringe Festival with oh, um, yeah. a Unitarian, a gay Unitarian minister, and the first female uh, rabbi in Canada, and we had a show together. Who was the rabbi? Um, Elise Goldstein. Oh, Elise Goldstein. Yeah, good oh, friend of mine. Wow. That sounds like a bad joke. It, well, that's that was the tagline, <laughs> right? A priest, a rabbi, and a minister walk into a theater. And a musical breaks out. Yeah. <laughs> there were some jazz hands involved. <laughs> Two of us are gay. Of course there was. <laughs> you got to write some. You got to write a musical. That's yeah, it. Maybe the next Hamilton. <laughs> the next Hamilton. Ontario. <laughs> That's right. Not that Hamilton. Call it not that <laughs> not Hamilton. Hamilton. That's great. <laughs> It'll be in the East End of Hamilton. It'll <laughs> giving. Actually, I'm working on a project about something like that. The, the East End of Hamilton. No, I'm working on. I'm, I'm working with some friends that we were in. We're just in the beginning of the idea of connecting uh, people who don't have voice mm-hmm. in mostly East End Hamilton mm-hmm. uh, with artists mm. to create opportunities for voice. Yes. So. Yeah. You know, a single mother's choir, yeah, right? Things yeah. like that. You know, a one-minute film festival, giving people, homeless people, phones and yeah. saying, make your stories, and then having Mohawk students do something with it and edit it into a piece. Well, my friend Tracy Aaron Smith, um, who is a... Oh, yeah. A, yeah, she, um, she's a writer, director actress and she put together the clergy project um and she so she has a company called solo theater and that's what she does she works with groups often marginalized groups to sort of tell their story and and put it on stage um and that's exactly what she does it's beautiful all right yeah. do a plug tell people who you are and tell them where your church is uh okay i'm daniel brereton the reverend daniel brereton <laughs> thank you <laughs> and uh my church is saint john the baptist dixie which is in mississauga at um, dixie and cothra um and you can find me on twitter at rev daniel see that was perfect you can find me on twitter at ralph ben Murgy. 
Uh, you can find me on Gmail at ralphbenmergy at gmail.com. Uh, you can subscribe to this fine program. Uh, all you got to do is uh, like it, subscribe it. Uh, go to any podcatcher uh, if uh, people are wondering how we find this beast uh, and look for Not That Kind of Rabbi. Uh, the more people who engage, the more uh, energized we'll become and uh, hopefully we'll get to keep doing this sort of thing. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you take care of each other. And uh, Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> Not that Hamilton. Hamilton. I think we've got something.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number 24-7.